As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome back. To the Athletic Football Show. This is Zach Kiefer here to dig into Week 13 across the NFL. Now we have to start with the San Francisco 49ers, who absolutely looked like the league's best team yesterday in Philadelphia, routing the Eagles 42-19. For my money, the 49ers now own the two most impressive wins by any team this season. That one and their 42-10 pounding of the Cowboys back in Week 5. I'd also hear the argument for the Ravens' 38-6 win over the Lions back in Week 7. But things are suddenly getting interesting in the NFC. Now, the Eagles are still on top at 10-2, and two, but now San Francisco, Dallas, and Detroit are all just a game back at 9-3. and three. That's going to be a really fun four-team race for that top seed in the first round bye over the next couple weeks. And by the way, we've got a great one next week. The Eagles are in Dallas for Sunday Night Football. In the AFC, the Chiefs no longer own the number one seed after falling in Green Bay last night. Now, questionable officiating aside, everybody saw the blown P.I. call late. The reality is the Packers outplayed them all game, and the Chiefs still haven't found that top gear this season. It certainly wouldn't stun me if Patrick Mahomes is playing the first road playoff game of his entire career come January. The Colts, the Texans, both stayed hot with wins yesterday at the buzzer, and the Steelers and Browns, who are both in the playoff picture as well, continue to struggle. The Commanders, the Patriots, the Jets all seem to hit a new low, if that was even possible. And now, according to our Zach Rosenblatt and Diana Rossini, Zach Wilson is, quote, reluctant to step back into the starting lineup for the Jets. What a mess. What an absolute mess for the Jets this season. Today, we're going to dig into three teams. One, the Pittsburgh Steelers are coming off what our beat writer Mike DeFabo believes is one of the worst losses of the entire Mike Tomlin era. Now, that's saying something. The era spans 17 seasons. As of right now, Pittsburgh owns the five seed in the AFC playoff picture. But is their 7-5 and five record a mirage? There's a lot to dig into. And Mike brought a ton of great insight on Tomlin, on Matt Canada's exit as play caller and OC, and where Kenny Pickett is at at this stage in his career. Next up, we'll visit with Tim Grant in Western New York for the pulse of the Buffalo Bills, a very fascinating team who have to be considered among the most disappointing teams in all of football this year. 
why is this team six and six? Why was Ken Dorsey fired? Was he a scapegoat? Was it justified? And why is ownership backing Sean McDermott now and in the future? And why does Tim think that Josh Allen, at times this season, doesn't look like he's enjoying football anymore? This was a really fascinating conversation on a really fascinating team that's not out of the playoffs yet, but they have a murderer's row of a schedule to finish. It's going to be fascinating to see how that ends for a team a lot of people thought might make a run at a Super Bowl. Finally, we'll visit with Josh Kendall in Atlanta and talk about the 6-6 six and six Atlanta Falcons. And they're still in first place in that division. God bless the NFC South. Has this team learned enough about Desmond Ritter right now to know if he's the guy? And what type of quarterback does Arthur Blank, the owner, want right now and in the long term? Great stuff from Josh in Atlanta, as always. All right, Kiefer from the Beats, week 13. Let's go. All right, from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to talk about a very interesting Steelers team for a lot of reasons. Mike DeFabo, one of our Steelers beat writers. Mike, glad we had you on today because there's a lot to talk about. Yesterday, after the game, you tweeted something that caught my eye. Was this the most embarrassing loss of the Mike Tomlin era? Now, that's a long era, but that says something. What's the feedback you've gotten, and do you think it might be? Well, I think it's definitely up there. You know, here in Pittsburgh, we have a term for this. It's called uh, the Tomlin game or the Tomlin special because it seems like annually there's a game that the Steelers really should win against an inferior opponent, and somehow they lose it. And so some of the most famous instances were probably the first one was 2009. The Steelers were 6-7. and seven. And Mike Tomlin was still kind of a new coach at the time. And he came out with this phrase and he said, we're going to unleash hell in December and riled up the fan base and told them exactly what they wanted to hear. They went out the following week and lost to a two and 10 Browns team, ended up missing the playoffs. But that was just the start of it. You know, another great example was in 2018, they were seven, two and one. This was the height of the killer bees era with Antonio Brown and Ben Roethlisberger, Le'Veon Bell. And they ended up losing four of their final six, including the biggest loss was to a four and 12 Raiders team. So this has happened sometime in Pittsburgh, but you know, there's not really been a loss of this magnitude at home this late in the season. And the question really is, is this just another instance of Mike Tomlin losing to an inferior opponent or are these Steelers much closer to a two and 10 team than their record might suggest. 24-10 loss to the Cardinals, who are in the running for the top pick and haven't won more than twice this entire season. What about yesterday was a surprise and what was not? Because that's the fascinating part for me because this team, everyone's talked about how they've been outgained in so many games, but they are still very much in this playoff race and things to seem to be just falling in line for them. Joe Burrow's out for the year right? Deshaun Watson's out for the year. And that murderous division suddenly just has two contenders. And the Steelers just kept winning. And it wasn't pretty, but they just kept winning. And they deserve some credit for that. And then there's a dud like yesterday that makes you think they weren't good all along. Where do you come down on that? Well, I think that there was a little bit of optimism because they finally, it was long overdue to move on from the offensive coordinator, Matt Canada. Right. I mean, just to briefly explain how bad it got here in Pittsburgh, they were chanting Fire Canada at Pittsburgh Penguins hockey games. I and saw that. That tells you something. Yes, absolutely. And so, you know, they they replaced the coordinator. They rolled with Eddie Faulkner, who's the running backs coach. He was the de facto coordinator. And Mike Sullivan, uh, who's the quarterbacks coach, was the play caller. 
And in the first game with the change uh, in Cincinnati, they put up their first 400 plus yard performance in 58 games. You have to go back to week two of the 2020 season. So, you know, you could look at that and say, Matt Canada was definitely the problem. And now they're going to start improving. Um, there was some feel good feeling around the offense that things had changed, fresh voices, but they just really weren't able to build upon that momentum. And really the biggest issue for me right now is this season should have been all about two things. Number one, developing Kenny Pickett, helping him progress. And then number two, if he didn't develop, truly evaluating him. And I don't think that they've succeeded in either one of those objectives. I don't think they're any closer to feeling like Kenny Pickett is either the future of the franchise or that they even know what they have in Kenny Pickett because they've taken such a conservative approach. So, you know, I think that that's probably the biggest disappointment. I think the Steelers still, even despite the product they've put on the field, they're seven and five. Right now, they're the fifth seed in uh, the AFC playoffs. They probably still will find their way to get to the playoffs. Mike Tomlin will preserve. You think so, really? I think that they will just because you look at the strength of schedule. And while the Steelers have their issues on offense, it seems like that's every team in the league right now. Like they're going to play the New England Patriots on a short week Thursday night football. You know, that's going to be a rough one. That's going to yeah, be a, for the for the national TV audience. Oh boy, without either starting quarterback, well, if you want to call Bailey Zappi a starter. Well, I feel badly for Al Michaels because he's been very depressed, I think, calling some of these poor <laughs> right. Thursday night games. And I, I think that this is one of the, like a historic over-under. Um, I think it's at 30.5 the line has moved to at this point. Ooh. Which is pretty brutal. But, you know, I, I think that that's a winnable game for the Steelers. It is. Anytime you play the Patriots right now, it's a winnable game for anybody. Right. Then they go on the road. They've got, they play another backup quarterback in Gardner Minshew and the Colts. They play another backup quarterback at Cincinnati Bengals. Um, then there's the game looming at Seattle. That one looks tough. And then they finish things out on the road against the Baltimore Ravens. And the way that rivalry has gone over the course of its history you know, it doesn't matter who's the quarterback, what the records are. It seems like any team can win. So, you know, you look at this and there's still a lot of winnable games. The other factor is it's not like Kenny Pickett was lighting the world on fire. You know, you lose your starting quarterback on most teams. You think the season is done, but this offense hasn't moved the ball well. They've really relied on TJ Watt producing splash plays and the defense turning the opponent over, putting the offense on short fields. So like, the formula is not going to change just because the quarterback's different. And for that reason, I think the Steelers still can find their way to win a couple games and, and work their way into the playoff conversation and maybe even get into the tournament. You said something interesting that's sort of like on a macro level. You said that they're not any closer to understanding what they have in Kenny Pickett. He was the first-round quarterback pick two years ago. Isn't that an indictment on this organization and sort of how they have things set up? And we all know they've had two coaches and – whatever, 30 years or whatever it is, and they they believe in the Steeler way and they're not going to change. But like, at what point, and I asked Kaboli this like a month ago, like at what point do they need to just like realize that this offensive approach is not working? And I don't know if Kenny Pickett's the guy or not. That can be debated. But like, at what point are they going to realize like the game is changing and we're not and something needs to happen? Yeah, I think that this definitely should open their eyes. The quote that was ringing in my ears when they finally fired Matt Canada was at the end of last season, everyone was calling for Matt Canada to be fired. And it seemed like it was a foregone conclusion. They would move on from him. And he said, we're not worried about keeping up with the Joneses. And I think that maybe it they is, should be. 
it, it, I think it's long past due for the Steelers to to start thinking about how the league is trending and how things are different. And one of the biggest problems I felt was you had Matt Canada, who had never proven he could do this at the NFL level, leading Kenny Pickett, who had never proven he could do this at the NFL level. And it's really hard to isolate variables and assign blame when you've got a quarterback, an offensive quarter, and neither one of them have done it. So going into this offseason, I think the biggest priority for the Steelers is finding a proven offensive coordinator who's done it before. So that then if Kenny does not have success next year, it's very clear what the problem is. It's Kenny, you know, because right now. It's kind of like what the Bears did with 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 Justin Fields. Like they're like, we're going to give you weapons. We're going to surround you with as best talent as we can and finally find out what you are. Right. Absolutely. Because drafting a quarterback, the, the issue the Steelers had is they drafted a quarterback because they needed a quarterback. But a quarterback is like a marriage in a sense. You know, you, this is not a couple year commitment. You know, this is presumably a decade long yeah. uh, an endeavor. And and so by by him walking into the circumstances he did, they did not put him in a good situation. And even now, what's better, an offensive coordinator that everybody agreed should have been fired or no offensive coordinator at all? And and I just think that that's the the kind of the the bed the Steelers made for themselves and now they're dealing with the consequences. This quote jumped out at me from yesterday. That was a horrible day at the office. I got to do the Mike Tomlin voice, right? You got to imagine this being said in the Mike Tomlin voice. We weren't good enough throughout the game. It was JV football in a lot of ways. It looked like that, right? When you get beat on your home field to a Cardinals team that's in the running for the top pick. Where's the city? Where's the region that lives and dies black and gold? with Mike Tomlin in whatever year this is, clearly there are things that are just not working there. But again, he is good enough to keep them in the playoff race and maybe they do, but is it just like a mirage right now? If they make the playoffs, is that just a mirage at where they're at as a team? It's it's really interesting because there's a really big divide between the national media perspective of Mike Tomlin and the local perspective on Mike okay. Tomlin. Okay, what's the local then like? Well, so the, the the national though is like they go eight and eight and everyone says, wow, what a great season by Mike Tomlin. I can't believe that he pulled another Tomlin and got, you know, something, squeezed water out of the rock and got them to, to eight and eight and win. Right, never had a losing season. Here in Pittsburgh, it's a little different because it's been years since they've won a playoff game. They've had a lot of seasons that they had talented offenses and underperformed. Um, and and I think the, the other part of it is Mike Tomlin has a huge say in personnel decisions and coaching decisions. So, you know, how can you possibly compliment a guy for doing a lot with little when he's the one that was making the decisions on who they drafted, making the decisions on which coaches were put in those roles. Not unlike what's happening in New England right now, right? Belichick put that offense together. It's abysmal. Exactly. So I, I get it if you're a, a new coach walking into a tough circumstance, you know, Dan Campbell rallies the troops and they make the most of their season and it looks like they're on the up and up in their building. But the Steelers have been stagnant. And, and like in Pittsburgh, they say, uh, finish middle, draft middle, stay middle. And and that's kind of what it's been for the Steelers. They're not bad enough to bottom out and get a top pick and get a game-changing type player in the first round. But, you know, they're also not good enough to make it into the playoffs and be a serious contender. And, like, even if they make it into the playoffs this year, I have no expectation that they could win a playoff game. I don't think that this team no. has it in them. Um, so it would just be like, that would be the accomplishment would be just getting into the playoffs. And in Pittsburgh, a fan base that's used to winning Super Bowls, 
you know, just getting into the playoffs for some fan bases maybe is a good season, but here in Pittsburgh, that's seen as a disappointment. One of these days, we need to do a separate podcast on just Pittsburgh language because you guys have so many phrases that are just like specific <laughs> just to Pittsburgh. Um, so let's say it doesn't work out. Like, let's say they skid down the stretch with Trubisky and then whenever Pickett returns and they don't make the playoffs, which is a disappointment because they've been in the picture for the last several weeks at least. What changes besides a new offensive coordinator in 2024? Or does anything change at all? And they just have to keep reliving this finish middle, stay middle, draft middle cycle. Well, I think that they need dramatic overhauls offensively. You know, there's, there's questions about the coordinator. There's questions about the quarterback. But you're seeing dysfunction on the offense. Um, you know, things, for example, like earlier this season, George Pickens, after the Steelers won a game, um, did not celebrate the touchdown with his teammates was frustrated that he had just two receptions for negative one yard, scrubbed his social media account of anything Steelers related and posted free me on cryptically on Instagram. So we're at that stage of the disgruntledness. You know, we had last week, Deontay Johnson didn't try to recover a fumble and had to apologize. That was a terri- I mean, at least on replay, that was terrible. You know, Najee Harris basically has refused to talk to the media at this point um, because he's so frustrated with the way things are going. So, and in the time that he did talk most recently was after the Cleveland loss right before they fired Matt Canada. And he said, like, you guys don't even see how bad it is behind the scenes. You don't even know the stuff you don't see is even worse than what you're seeing on the sidelines. So I, I feel like they need a total overhaul there. I think that they need to bring in different types of players, people that are team first type of players. And, and they need a, a leader who can guide them and who's going to keep them on the same page. You think they make it? You think they find a way to scrape their way into the playoffs? The the road is open, right? I mean, Cleveland's in there as well right now, and they're losing games, and they're on Joe Flacco, who's been there for 15 minutes. So it feels like there's opportunities. But, you know, Denver lost yesterday, but they're playing better. Indy and Houston just keep winning. They might not be great teams, but it's bunched up at the bottom of the AFC. You really do think the Steelers are going to find their way in, and maybe everyone's going to say Tomlin did it again. I think they will. I think that they'll find their way in. I think that they'll do it. But, you know, I think the biggest question is then going forward, is Kenny Pickett going to be the guy? And are you going to consider drafting a quarterback at some point, even as high as the first round? I think given the the history of this organization and the fact that, as you mentioned, with coaches, they tend to give them a longer leash than most teams. And the, um, we're talking about the Steelers, you know, the longest leash probably there is in professional sports. Exactly. I think that... I think that at a minimum, they're going to give Kenny one more year. And I think that that's going to be really the telltale season where you bring in an offensive coordinator who's done it before, you know, you kind of eliminate that excuse and then you see what Kenny can do. And and really, it's going to be a very important year for him. And But this was supposed to be an important year. You know, everyone talks about the year two leap with quarterbacks and there was so much good feeling in the preseason. Kenny Pickett led five touchdown drives and five opportunities. They were talking about these feel good kumbaya um, like vacations they took to Florida where they worked on camaraderie and they worked on all this. Don't stuff. you love the off season? Every team talks a big game in the off season. And it seems like all of that's gone out the window. You know, the on field product is not there. And then obviously the dysfunction in the locker room as well shows that they're not the cohesive unit that they present themselves as. So, I mean, this team has, this team has problems. Um, but it's just a matter of can this defense stay together? And I guess that's the biggest, the other big factor is when you have a formula based on defense, defense is based on all 11 guys doing their job. 
And when you start losing key pieces, as the Steelers have done, it's not the same defense. And right now their biggest issue is they had a three-man rotation at inside linebacker. That's a position that's a communication hub. That's a position that helps stop the run, which has been spotty for the Steelers for years now. They've lost all three pieces. And they had to call Miles Jack out of retirement. He was he bought a hockey team and he was studying to become a pilot. And now he could be calling the play defensive plays for the Steelers this week on a short week. So, you know, that's I think the biggest concern and the reason they wouldn't make it is that the defense is so banged up. Minka Fitzpatrick is playing with a cast on his hand. He broke his hand. Cam Hayward has been dealing with a groin injury. So, you know, does the wear and tear of AFC North football finally take its toll? And, and cause this defense that's been carrying the team to fall off. Yeah, but you made a good point. Like, yeah, the Steelers have problems, but so many teams out there have problems. There's maybe two or three that really aren't aren't flawed right now, and most of them are in the NFC. So they got the Patriots, very winnable. They got the Colts. The Colts keep winning, but they're not blowing anybody out. The Bengals, another team with a backup quarterback. Seahawks is tougher, and then at Baltimore to finish is tougher as well. But like you said, you can only play the games in front of you, and they have some winnable games in the next couple of weeks. We'll see what happens. But, Mike, thanks for hopping on, and we will see what happens down the stretch in Pittsburgh because it's going to be a fascinating finish to this season, and then it's going to be a fascinating offseason to see what they do on offense. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. It should be definitely a lot of things to keep an eye on. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze all lowercase go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business no matter which stage you're in shopify.com slash maze all right from orchard park new york the buffalo area tim graham who is our one of our resident bills experts tim how you doing i'm doing well i'm uh Tanned and uh, rested and ready to go, uh, taking the bye week here uh, in beautiful Western New York. All the sunshine, as you can imagine. Um, I'm uh, for those of you who may uh, not understand uh, or be geographically inclined. I am uh, joking because it's been miserable here. But 
anyways, I, I still enjoyed my bye week. I hope you enjoyed your bye week because it's going to be busy and hectic and chaotic over the next five to six to however many weeks in Buffalo. Um, let's go back to September. I saw the Bills live once this season. And they looked incredible. They beat the hell out of the Dolphins, 48-20. to 20. I don't think Josh Allen's ever looked better, to be honest. I, I don't think the Bills have probably ever looked better. And now they're 6-6, six and six, and they are in the 10th spot in the AFC playoff picture. Simple question, complicated answer. Why? How have they gotten to this point from where they were in early September when they looked like Super Bowl contenders? Zach, it's even worse uh, than you outline uh, because the Bills have a horrendous AFC record. They hold almost zero tiebreakers. Uh, they've been beaten by the Denver Broncos. Uh, they've been beaten by the New England Patriots. The Jets. Uh, the Jaguars. Oh, man. The Jets, right? The, the Eagles, there's no shame in losing to the Eagles in overtime in Philadelphia. It's a game they needed to steal because they have frittered away so many uh, other games that they should have banked. Uh, but really no shame in that. They're actually playing pretty well, particularly on offense. However, uh, that conference record uh, is really going to hurt them. And um, really, uh, <laughs> unless they need a head-to-head record uh, over the Raiders, <laughs> then I don't know that they're going to have many uh, tiebreakers that are going to help them out when it comes to the playoffs. It's crazy we're having this conversation, but we are. And it's it's the reality of this league is that it just never goes the way you think it's going to. But the Bills are so fascinating because they've got this generational talent at quarterback who's producing. They, the offense is still ranked very, very high. Now, there's a lot of complexities to that. But I want to ask you this. We haven't talked since Ken Dorsey was let go a couple weeks ago. Did that feel from from where you're at in the building every day, talking to the players, talking to the coaches, did that feel inevitable? Did it feel justified? Was it just a scapegoat situation? Like those of us on the outside don't really know. What was your take on that? I asked Sean McDermott a couple of weeks even before Ken Dorsey was let go maybe even three weeks on a conference call. And it made some headlines at places like Pro Football Talk and particularly at the, you know, uh, the uh, the aggregators uh, right. here around Western New York. I asked Sean McDermott how much consideration he has given to letting somebody else on the staff call the plays. Um, and Joe Brady, of course, the you know, the former LSU uh, passing game coordinator when they won the national championship a few years ago, went on to the Carolina Panthers had something like five head coaching interviews at a very young age and then fell off the map uh, when he became the quarter, when he got fired in Carolina and then became the quarterback's coach underneath uh, Ken Dorsey. Uh, that was when uh, Brian Dable left to become the head coach of the, of the Giants. Uh, and I, I was just asking out of intuition. I, I wasn't thinking that it was time for Ken Dorsey to get fired. I'm thinking maybe, it's time for just some fresh perspective. And it's something that Sean McDermott had done in the past. Now, granted, he's a defensive-minded coach, but um, he once took away the play-calling duties from defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier for a little bit, just for a, a spark, just for a, you know, a little bit of okay. um, fresh blood. And so I thought, well, maybe that's, that's something that he'd be willing to do. And, of course, that was shot down and mocked and ridiculed and uh, – I had a bunch of people coming, uh, you know, just uh, 
to analysts saying what what a ridiculous idea it would be to 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 take away the play calling from uh, from Ken Dorsey. I was merely asking the question, and Sean McDermott said he'd given zero thought to it. I thought okay, and I moved on. I didn't even write about it. I was just asking a question. Yeah. But things got uh, even worse, and the malaise continued, and Josh Allen looked like somebody who didn't even want to be playing football. And I, you know, the guy, the killer was gone. You know, the guy, the dual threat, running, throwing, um, you know, just uh, will 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 snatch your soul away from you. He was just missing. He looked lifeless. Um, the entire offense, as a result, also looked lifeless. Now, it's only been two games since they fired Ken Dorsey, but the offense has really perked up with 32 points against the Jets, which the listeners may think, well, that's what's the big deal. But the but Josh Allen had had super-duper struggles against the Jets dating back to last season, and the Jets beat the Bills 22-16 to on opening night. Right. So to come back and beat the Jets 32-6, to and then to score 34 points on the Eagles and then lose in overtime um, in a couple of controversial ways, uh, given the officiating. And, you know, obviously other teams can say they, they're they playing the trump card over the Bills now after another week of yeah. crazy officiating. But, yeah, the Bills offense looks like it's back. Uh, but it's only two games, small sample size. But um, it's... Uh, as of now, it seems as though that change was needed. And now people are wondering, geez, did they wait too long to get rid of uh, Ken Dorsey? That's what we do as reporters. We ask questions that we don't know the answer to. Um, you had an interesting story last week, and I want to pivot to the discussion about Sean McDermott. And you're there in the city, in the town, in the building. And you wrote this. You wrote, fan confidence in Sean McDermott has never been lower. There have been darker times than these. Anyone who knows the Bills knows they've had a decades of futility after those Super Bowl runs in the early 90s. You're talking about recently, a profound misery descended upon the Buffalo Bills the last two winters when promising seasons imploded without even reaching the AFC title game, let alone the Super Bowl. But the hope of next year always beckoned. They looked like contenders. They looked like they were going to keep making these runs. And then you wrote, hope is fragile now. When it comes to a title run, they might not even be a this year anymore. Does it feel like this team is descending? And by that, I mean regressing. And, and, and you know, they were the upstart. They were the team that was coming. They've got three AFC East crowns. Does it feel like this is a one-time step back or a larger issue with the coach that might not ever climb the ladder and get to where they want to go? I mean, you never can really say for sure. Right. But... Uh, as somebody who's covered major league sports for 25 years and covered locker rooms for 30 years, I don't get, I, I'm, I don't see doom here. I don't see this as uh, a flawed or dysfunctional organization. They've had some bad luck with injuries. They've had some bad luck with officiating. Uh, they apparently, or at least as it seems right now, made the wrong choice in replacing Brian Dable uh, with Ken Dorsey. And that move was made to appease Josh Allen. That was Josh Allen's guy. He was the quarterback's coach under Brian Dable. And the Bills made no, um, they didn't even, they didn't hide the fact that that offseason in 2022, 
at the combine, uh, talking to Sean McDermott, talking to Brandon Bean. The Bills were bending over backwards to make sure Josh Allen was happy. And the reason, or at least a, a, a lot of the motivation for that, was what was happening in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. They did not want to get into a situation where they had a malcontent quarterback. So they pretty much let Josh Allen pick some of the people around him. They even went so far as to offer Davis Webb the quarterback's job, the quarterback's uh, quarterback's, uh, coaching job, even though Davis Webb was an active player. He was on the practice squad. Yes, he was the third quarterback on the Bills roster, but he was tight with Josh Allen. And they proposed Ken Dorsey as the coordinator, Davis Webb as the quarterback's coach. Now, Davis Webb turned him down because he still had uh, a career as a, as a quarterback, even albeit as a deep backup. But he went on to the New York Giants to, to play with Brian Dable. You know, that's another year towards the pension. Uh, that's an NFL player's salary compared to an entry-level assistant coach salary. Yeah. So, you know, it was, a, it was a business decision for Davis Webb, and now he's the quarterback's coach with the Denver Broncos. But those were the types of things that the Bills were desperate to do because they lost Brian Dable. They lost the uh, assistant quarterback's coach, Shea Tierney. Um, they, uh, they lost Davis Webb. They lost – there were some others. Um, support staff people. Um, they were losing – their backup quarterbacks who they were able to invest in Mitch Trubisky, uh, Case Keenum, veteran quarterbacks who could start. That was before Josh Allen's contract extension kicked in. Now they're down to Kyle Allen as the backup quarterback. Yeah. And Shane Bouchelle as the third stringer. So that was a lot of quarterbacking brain power that the, that the bills lost when Brian Dable left the staff and took some people with him. Uh, and so yeah, uh, Ken Dorsey was Josh Allen's guy, and Josh Allen seemed to lose his zest for the game. And I wrote a column about it. As I, I, I thought that the Ken Dorsey firing was as much on Josh Allen as anybody else. He he was playing like he didn't care, and that's an indictment. And I know that that is a very difficult thing for a reporter to say. I'm not saying that he quit. But anybody who watched this guy play, he was like a zombie out there. What was the response to that like? Well, I even asked him one day. This was, this was. I'm trying to think of when it was. I think it was before they fired. I think it was heading into the Broncos game. But I even asked him at his Wednesday media availability at a news conference. I said, can I swear on here? Yes. I encourage it. Okay. So. Because I said I even apologized to the cameras because I knew I didn't know if we were live streaming or sometimes I said, look, I don't know how else to phrase the question. But, Josh, what happened to that guy who used to love to shove it up everybody's ass? And he just kind of looked at me with that dead eyes as he's had all season. And he's like, well, sometimes we evolve. And, um, you know, we just uh, those are those I pick up my spots to be a leader. Uh, there was there was footage of him. Uh, in the in the tunnel, heading out for the game, giving his pregame speech, and it was pretty much like, "All right, boys, let's go out there and win one." You know, one, two, three Bills. Uh, it was it was it was bizarre, and it was something that everybody who's who's following the team really did notice. And that's changed since Ken Dorsey's been gone. Now, why um, was Ken Dorsey taking the fun out of it, or was Sean McDermott maybe even uh, organizationally the Bills in? insisting that Josh Allen not run as much. Now, since Joe Brady's been the coordinator, he's been running. 
Now that could also be out of desperation because he has to now, because if you want to make the playoffs, uh, Josh Allen's got to pull out all the stops. And if he gets dinged up a little bit, well, let's hope he, he rests up over the off season. Uh, but against the Eagles, he ran nine times for 81 yards against the jets. He had a good running day. And there were other times earlier in the year where you could see him thinking he'd roll left and have, seven yards ahead of him, an easy seven-yard pickup, and he'd stop. And you could see him almost thinking, I have to throw it um, because the Bills were trying to get that out of his game. They want yeah. this guy to be around for 15 years. and uh, But there's there's this other mentality of, what's the use of having this version of Josh Allen around for 15 years? Uh, or you can have six years of you know this world beater uh, and maybe may actually make a run at some Lombardi trophies. Um, and, and I think that it's, it seems to be tilting towards the latter lately. That is so fascinating because, you know, we get all these canned quotes and so much of it is BS and nonsense and, and unusable, really. Like you're trying to show the reader something that they don't know and bad quotes and the like don't help you. But body language tells a story sometimes. And that's fascinating to me that you saw that in Josh, whatever he's going through this season, the disappointment on the field is one thing, but there's no secret that the Bills want to drive that recklessness out of his game. That's dangerous though, because that what's makes that's you know, that's what makes him great, right? He's he's one in a million skill set. But you wonder if if they're just removing that extra three to five percent that made him that killer that you referenced you seems like he's having a, a better time the last couple of weeks that usually happens when you fire a coordinator usually there's an uptick a little bit at least but they've got a brutal stretch down the way i mean look this is just brutal i mean they're at kansas city they face dallas then they go to the chargers new england's bad but again they lost to new england and in miami to finish and miami's playing really well i mean they're not going to make the playoffs, right? Like, you don't see this miraculously ending with the playoff run, do you? Well, here's the thing. You still feel like anything's possible. Now, I think you asked this question earlier, and, and I went uh, down a, a lane, and, and I didn't circle back and, and really say, you mentioned the idea of regression. Now, they have regressed each year for the last three years in terms of how they finished. Uh, they went to the AFC Championship game. Uh, they then failed to make the AFC championship game with the 13 seconds loss. Feels like they never got over that 13 second right. loss. That's just my theory. Overtime. So they come that close. So they came cl really close to getting back to the AFC championship game, but not quite. Then last year, everything happens where the team is on fumes heading into the postseason. Understandably. Because of everything that had happened. And there's DeMar Hamlin nearly dying on the field. There were three road games in 12 days because games were, you know, the, the snow and the weather that was here. People were dying in Western New York because of the weather. The Bills had to play three road games in 12 days, won them all. Um, their owner uh, was their co-owner, Kim Pagula, uh, had uh, uh, a medical issue. And at the time, really, nobody knew what it was still. She wasn't around the team anymore. Uh, there was the mass killing, uh, the, the racist shooting at the supermarket over the summer. Uh, Ten people died. I mean, this was a, a community that was reeling, and the team was feeling it. And by the time they got to uh, the second round and the Bengals, uh, hell, you know, it was uh, – it, it, it would have taken miracles 
Uh, they just yeah. didn't have it anymore. And I still yeah. voted for Sean McDermott for coach of the year for our PFWA award, just to be able to keep it together uh, throughout, through all that. But they still fell way short. So they went from AFC championship game to barely, barely missing out on returning to not even coming close to getting to the third round of the playoffs, getting just blown out of the water by the Bengals. And then this year, they might not make the playoffs. So, yes, they are regressing. However, over the last couple of weeks, you've seen glimpses of that team where anything's possible. And you're seeing, you're starting to feel it again. You lost it uh, for probably, you know, the last two months of third and eight. Oh, they're not going to convert this here. You know, they just can't, you know, but whereas it used to be third and eight, chalk it up with Josh Allen because he's going to run for it. He's going to hit Stefan Diggs. He's going to complete a pass to Dawson Knox. And they've, they've gotten some um, development uh, out of tight end uh, Dalton Kincaid. Uh, He is, he's really good. Uh, He's a rookie and rookie tight ends aren't supposed to be contributing, but he has really started to come, uh, come around. And the thing that was really frustrating, I think for the bills uh, prior to um, the Ken Dorsey firing was they had this new weapon and they were still losing. Um, So now though, they seem to be figuring it out. Everything these last couple of games starting to feel kind of possible. And the bills are only three point underdogs going into Arrowhead uh, this Sunday. So neutral field, the whole thing, uh, Las Vegas seems that sees this as an even matchup, but you're right. A tough, tough, tough schedule. The last five games, the Cowboys are the home, the Cowboys and Patriots are the home games. Um, they might have to play the Miami Dolphins two weeks in a row down in Miami Gardens because if they're going to have to win, if they're going to get in, they might have to beat the Dolphins on the road in week 18, and then that could be the game that they get. Now, the Dolphins could actually end up being the best team in the conference and getting that first round by if the Chiefs still have their doldrums. Correct. Um, so you could be looking at back-to-back Dolphins road games or – winning in Miami, and then going to Arrowhead. Uh, so it's it's tough. And and I, and I mentioned the tiebreakers earlier. They, they're they stacked against them. They're going to have to get hot. Uh, they're going to have to – I don't think they have to run the table. I think they can afford to lose one. If they lose two, then you're looking at nine and eight. That got you into the playoffs last year with tiebreakers. I don't think it's going to get you in unless, of course, we see – the AFC North totally collapsed uh, with Kenny Pickett now out. There are no quarterbacks left other than Lamar Jackson. So I don't know if we're going to get wild cards out of the AFC North anymore, but then here comes the AFC South. That makes a lot of sense. You know, they might have to get hot, but how hot depends on what you think. I mean, you know, the Steelers and the Browns are in it right now and the Colts and none of them have their starting quarterbacks, you know, so that's, there is an opening, whether it's small or large can be up to, you know, you can debate upon that. I'll get you out of here on this. Hey, Zach, real quick question for you. You you follow it. You know, you have your finger on the pulse. We can all look at the standings and the schedules, right? Right. But and if you if that's all it took, then you wouldn't be having me on here. What do you think about three teams making it out of the AFC South? Is that is that doable? Yeah. So yesterday was the first time I thought that might actually happen because and I'm not advocating for these teams being really good, but you got to look at the schedule. 
I mean, Indianapolis has the easiest schedule the rest of the way. I'm not saying the Colts are good. They've won four straight against pretty bad teams. But they got Cincy and Pittsburgh and Atlanta and Las Vegas and Houston. Like, those are five winnable games. They don't win them all, but the opportunity is there. And Houston, I mean, same thing. They've got the Jets and the Titans and the Browns and and the Colts. I mean, those teams have easier roads to the playoffs, and, and I think the Bills are better than those teams, but I think the Bills' road to get there is a hell of a lot harder. And that's just kind of where we're at. They wasted their opportunities early in the season. Well, you win the division and you face a tougher schedule automatically. But again, the Bills are they're a marquee team. And I feel like they should have won the Philly game. They had that game won. And you just flat out can't lose to the Jets without Aaron Rodgers on opening night. Right. Um, the Patriots, of course, in week seven, with a lead inside the last two minutes, Mac Jones, a guy who can't lose to the Patriots, no matter the situation, right? They've lost to two quarterbacks who've been benched, uh, Zach Wilson and Mac Jones. Um, And then the Broncos in Orchard Park with 12 men on the field, and we can go through the whole thing there. I mean, that was a disaster. That's what's got to drive Bill's fans crazy. But Last thing, it sounds like they're sticking with Sean McDermott. You reported last week that ownership is behind him, not only behind him, but, you know, they have no interest in moving on from him. The fan base, not on the same page. They, they're, they're, not, they're not behind him as much. Well, you know how fickle fans are. But Correct. in Western New York, they're, they seem to be way more knee-jerk. And I don't think, not historically, they're like this. They, they've gone through so much pain. 17 years of no playoffs. Yeah, and, and and Sean McDermott, like you wrote, was the coach that brought them back, and he deserves credit for that. Yes, and but there's this feeling that, and it's I understand it. I understand it, and I don't think that it's, uh, I think it's a gut feel. It's a visceral feeling that a lot of Bills fans have that with Tom Brady out of the division and Bill Belichick, you know, falling apart, Right. that the Bills are owed a championship and anything short of that has to be a failure of somebody and let's get somebody else in here who can do it better. Well, you know, the Eagles uh, hiring Chip Kelly, uh, any team looking at Adam Gase. I mean, you can go down the line of the guy who was the can't miss whatever coming in, whether it's from the college ranks or the hot assistant from the, the team that just won the Super Bowl. You know, Terry Pagula has had a bad go of it as an owner of both the Buffalo Sabres of the National Hockey League and, and the Buffalo Bills. Uh, and he has something that's working now. Sean McDermott has a better win percentage in his career than Marv Levy. He is the all-time winningest coach by percentage in Bills wow. history. Uh, he does pretty well in the playoffs. Now, there's been some choking, um, but I think that Terry Pagula just doesn't, well, based on my sources, who say there's zero percent? Two of them said zero percent chance. The other two said they would be shocked and it would take a catastrophe for Terry Pagula to change his mind and, and want to make a change. They like the symbiotic relationship between Brandon being the general manager and McDermott. They've built a culture. They just signed them to both of them to contract extensions uh, over the summer through 2027. So there's a lot of the passionate fan who wants change for the sake of change is not going to move Terry Pagula uh, to do it. Okay, that's interesting. He's not going to just 
make a move to make a move. Not just going to make a move to keep the fans happy. He understands with Buffalo, there's a lot of context to where they're at right now after the last couple seasons. Yeah, I know that this is a predominantly NFL, obviously, you know, it's part of the it's the show. You know, NFL fans are listening to this podcast, so I don't want to bore you with what the Buffalo Sabres coaching uh, coaching history <laughs> right. has been since Terry Pagula bought the it, hockey. Seven team. different coaches or something you wrote? It's it's disaster and ugly. I mean, ugly hockey. They have not made the playoffs in forever. Um, and here he has in Buffalo something that's working. He wanted to keep Doug Marone. Doug Marone took the buyout because he had a clause in his contract that if there was an ownership change, he could leave with a, a big sack of cash. He wanted to keep Doug Marone. I think he looks back on that as a missed, or a dodged bullet. Yeah. But then he replaced him with Rex Ryan uh, and had to fire him before the end of the, his second season. And now he has a coach who wins. Uh, you, you need to be able to put yourself in Terry Pagula's shoes. I know that everybody feels around Western New York that the Bills – uh, are wasting Josh Allen's prime years here. But Terry Pagula also knows that the grass isn't always greener and he has something that's working. And I, and I'm just trying to tell you, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that that is his perspective on this. Good stuff. A fascinating team in a fascinating position and they're not done yet. They've got a tough road, but again, their highs are going to be higher than all the other teams that are in that race right now for those wild card spots. Well, imagine this, Zach. Just one last point to, to leave. I know that we've been rambling on here. At least I have been. You've been a very uh, polite host. Um, if they do get into the playoffs, that means they're hot. I mean, they're going to have to be hot. That's a really good point. And they're hot. That means Allen is hot. And that's that could be scary. They could be a scary seven seed, right? Oh, yeah. I think that they, everybody's going to want to avoid playing the Bills because that means that they will have won, you know, six of their last seven or whatever it is. They're going to have to score points. Yeah, they're going to have to beat the Cowboys and the Dolphins and the Chiefs, probably. But yeah, they're going to be riding one. Crazy things have happened this season. Crazy things have happened in this league. And we'll see what happens. But I think you've convinced me that it's not out of the realm of possibility. Before we started talking, I thought, no way. I looked at the schedule and I've watched the Bills a lot this year. And I just thought, I just don't believe in what they're doing consistently enough to to see them make a run. But then again, that's why the National Football League is great, because the unexpected happens all the time. Still probably not. Right, right. But there's a Good stuff. Thanks, Tim, for hopping on, man. We'll catch you down the line. Thank you for having me, Zach. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. All right, from Atlanta, Georgia, Josh Kendall, our Falcons writer. The Falcons might be the most 6-6 six and six team in NFL history, as far as I'm concerned, Josh. Um, 
The good news is they're in the eminently winnable NFC South. The bad news is I feel like they've underachieved this season. Would you agree or disagree with that statement and why? Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that they have underachieved this season, and yet they are, you know, first place with a bullet in the NFC South. Um, they lead the Saints by a game, and they're three and zero in the division. So they're, you know, they're kind of they're really in the catbird seat, you know, as much as this, you know, division has a catbird seat. But you know, you can roll back the tape really easily and say, you know, look at what Josh Dobbs in Minnesota did to this group. Will Levis threw four touchdowns in his NFL debut. He's thrown three in the month since then. I mean, let's. Off the top of my head, those are those are two wins. This team should be eight and four, and you're kind of having a different conversation about them. But ultimately, this is who they are. They are a 500 football team. This is a team that I think has got a good hold on the four seed in the NFC. And let's imagine for a second the Falcons versus the Cowboys in that four or five game. What's the line? Ten? Ten and a half? Even if it's in Atlanta, which it will be. It will be in Atlanta, and it you know, it's not going to be super competitive as we sit here right now. So, but this team needs to make the playoffs. This team is in what team owner Arthur Blank preseason called year three of a three-year plan with this GM and head coach group. They need to make the playoffs. That's an important step for them. So they've got to hold on to this and worry about ironing out the kinks in in 2000, taking a step forward, an actual step forward in 2024, probably. So where are they at? There's been a lot of conversation about the quarterback. They made some moves. They brought him back. Again, six and six in a bad division, but they're six and six, and you're looking at a playoff game. They've surrounded Desmond Ritter with some talent, right? I mean, they spent a top seven pick on a running back, and I mean, they've done a lot to help him. Have they gotten closer to figuring out if he's the answer? They've spent the last three top ten picks on offensive guys. A tight end, a wide receiver, and a running back. That's what so I'm saying. Not just, not just some offensive talent. In their mind, they have given him the cream of the crop. So, yes, he and an offensive line that they've invested a lot of draft capital in that's good to really good depending on the day or fine, fine in pass blocking to really good in run blocking depending on the day. So, yes, Desmond Ritter has got what he needs to show if he's the guy. The problem is sometimes it looks fine and sometimes it looks terrible. So the Falcons are in this weird zone where Arthur Smith can look at Desmond Ritter and can see glimpses in every game of that player can do exactly what I need him to do if I can just coach out the rest of this. So then you're an NFL head coach and your choices are thinking, A, I'm a good enough coach that I can get this guy where he wants to go. Or B, I have to start over looking for a quarterback next year when I probably got the 19th pick. If I make the playoffs, I've got the 19th pick in the draft. I don't want to trade a bunch of guys because I think that everybody I've ever brought into this program is the next coming. You know, it's going to be a superstar. So I think that they they are holding on tighter to Desmond Ritter than you would think from the outside. It's okay. my impression. I heard this name floated the other day, and this is all hypothetical. This is all speculation. Is Justin Fields a possibility in a year? Because it seems like the Bears, if they get the top pick, virtue of the Panthers, they're going to go Caleb Williams. Let's just play that game. If they play that game, it makes sense that the Falcons bring in a veteran quarterback if they aren't all in on Desmond Ritter after this season. It feels like it's a conducive spot for, let's just throw a name out, Kirk Cousins or Justin Fields, because like you said, they got Pitts, they got Bijan, they've got an offensive line, they got weapons. 
and they just need to take that next step. Or is that just me playing the media game that I shouldn't play? That's a very reasonable step to take and, and question to, to wonder. And I think that, you know, Arthur Smith, because of his own actions, typecast in a certain way outside of Atlanta. And I'm not sure it's super accurate. So what's the narrative outside of Atlanta? First of all, this guy is a jerk. He's sincerely not. He does a good imitation at times from the podium. He's not He's not an ass. So, but secondly, this guy just wants a super athletic quarterback. This guy wants Justin Fields. This guy wants Trey Lance. I can tell you for a fact, when Trey Lance was on the market, and he was on the market for a long time, the Falcons had zero interest in him. Maybe it's different with Justin Fields, but I don't think so. If you say to the Falcons, you can have Kirk Cousins or you can have Justin Fields, I think they're all things being equal, which we know they're not. Right. They're taking Kirk. They're taking Kirk Cousins ten times out of ten. He's better. He's a better quarterback by, by far. And Arthur Smith wants a quarterback. And part of the reason he likes Desmond Ritter is because he's seen glimpses of him playing quarterback, playing traditional quarterback. Now Desmond brings enough mobility. And that's what Arthur wants is just enough mobility. We saw Ryan Tannehill in the red zone in those two really successful years. You know, just enough that you've got to count him in the run game, that he can keep a zone read every now and then. He's not looking for a running back to play quarterback. He's looking for a quarterback. you got to think who they had for 15 years. Literally a statue back there in the pocket in Matt Ryan. And then they did make a run at Deshaun Watson, obviously. We don't need to get into all that. But I'm looking at their schedule down the stretch, and – I'm looking for a great quarterback they're going to see the rest of the way, and, and I just don't see one, right? They go, part of this is yeah. NFC South, but Tampa, Carolina, Colts, Chicago, Saints. Like, they might have a misleading record by the end of this simply because of the schedule. The best quarterback they're going to see the, the rest of the way is probably Baker Mayfield, but again, if that's the best quarterback you're going to see, that's an enticing schedule. We'll see what happens the rest of the way, but... Are they getting any closer to figuring out, you know, they had such a unique build, right? Let's let's build around the quarterback. We're going to have this rookie deal and see what we can do. I feel like at the end of the season, we might not be any closer, but am I wrong? No, I think that's very valid. I think if you see the same, I think you could see the same Desmond Ritter we've seen through the first 12 games and this team finish, let's say, you know, pie in the sky, what, four and two, got six left? That's fair. I mean, so I think they should finish a, four and two yeah. against against this schedule. Right. And this defense, you know, this defense leads the league by far in defensive defensive rush EPA per snap. It's top two or three in success rate. So and part of that is, again, again, NFC South correlated. But this is a pretty good defense. So this team with Desmond Ritter being a roller coaster could be 10 and uh, was 10 and eight, no, 10 and seven, yeah. nine and eight. Yeah, be 11 could, and, and six. Yeah. And could clinch the playoffs in week 16 or 17, which is unheard of in Atlanta. God bless the NFC and, South. Exactly. And you still think, what in the world do we have in Desmond Ritter? But, you know, again, your options are thinking, I'm a good enough coach to get this guy where I want him to go, or I've got to go into the great unknown. And another thing that Arthur Smith, I think, is one of his core tenets is that <laughs> to to frame it one way is all quarterbacks suck. Like he does, you know, he just doesn't believe that Caleb Williams is going to step in the door, or Drake May is going to step in the door, and he's going to be the guy. He is skeptical of 
quarterbacks, of the next guy, of this guy is going to solve all your problems. Fans believe the next guy is going to be C.J. Stroud right away. And it's just not exactly. how it works. Fans are exactly the opposite. So, so the Falcons, I just think, I'm not saying Desmond Ritter will be the Falcons quarterback in 2024. I'm going to say they hold him in higher regard than anybody outside of the organization, fans and even other you know, media, et cetera, et cetera, do. So I think it's going to be it's going to be harder to replace him in their eyes than you think it's going to be. That's where we are. That's fascinating because it's really hard to do both, right? To live in that abyss where you don't know if you have the guy at quarterback, but also compete, right? A lot of teams fail to do both, and a lot of teams fall apart because they're trying to do both, one being the team I used to cover that brought in Matt Ryan, who was their fifth quarterback in five years, and everything fell apart because they thought they were better than they were, and they thought they were one piece away. The Falcons, if they want to move off from him, it's a lot easier because he's on that rookie deal. But we'll see. And, you know, based on the way the last couple of weeks have gone, it feels like this is the team that's going to win the NFC South. Last thing before I let you go, if they don't win the NFC South, why? Like, against this schedule, what would have to go really wrong for them to not fulfill that pretty low bar and win that division? We'd have to see the Desmond Ritter uh, turnover machine that we've seen at times pop up a couple more times. And this defense, for as well as it's done in success rate, uh, defensive, you know, let's go back to given Will Levis in his first NFL starts, for given the guy who can only throw deep, Four deep touchdowns, you know. So let's let's throw that defense in a couple times. Let's throw some three pick games from Desmond in a couple times, and and you're absolutely missing the playoffs. And then, you know, you've got question marks about more than Desmond Ritter. That would answer a lot of questions, to be honest. They wouldn't enjoy that process, but if they don't make the playoffs against this schedule with everything the way it's set up, I think that would be a colossal disappointment because this is the most winnable division again in the NFL. But it's going to be fascinating to see. And, and like you said, we could probably expect an Atlanta home game in the playoffs against a much better team. We'll see. But thanks for hopping on, Josh. Thanks for having me. All right. I want to thank Mike DeFabo in Pittsburgh, Tim Graham in Buffalo, and Josh Kendall in Atlanta for taking time on Busy Mondays to give us tons of insight on the Falcons, the Steelers, and the Bills, and where they find themselves with about a month to go in the regular season. We will have a great rest of the week on the Athletic Football Show podcast feed, Week 14 preview, Football GM podcast with Randy and Mike Sando, In the Pocket with Chase Daniel, and obviously Prospect to Pros with Dane Brugler. Tons of great stuff coming, a lot of great games on tap for Week 14, and we will catch up with you guys next week. This was The Athletic Football Show.